Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, great to be back with you. And I was wondering, have you ever had an experience in life where you're up late at night, tossing and turning in anxiety? Perhaps it's about a financial problem or a conflict with your boss or coworker. And then you wake up to the first rays of light and suddenly your mind just fills with solutions. What seemed like an insurmountable problem is a call to change something about your life and you feel rejuvenated. I don't know about you, it happens to me about once a week. I mean, something seems so stressful at night, and then it just looks different in the morning. Recently, a friend of mine went through this a couple of months ago when he got laid off from his job. He was terribly stressed, understandably. But as he thought about it, the more he realized that he needed a new path, and he never would have taken it without this wake-up call. The stress is real, but challenges can be viewed in different ways. And we can look at this as two sides of the same coin. There's this one coin. It's a challenge in life. And in the darkness of night, it can seem like a roadblock. And then the rays of dawn come and we see it differently. Suddenly, it's an invigorating challenge. The two sides of the same coin are as different as day and night, but they're as close together as the end of night and the beginning of day. It feels so good when we can just make that mental shift and flip the coin. But the problem is sometimes we feel stuck in the darkness. A problem in life persists. Negative and pessimistic thinking take over and lead to anxiety and even depression. In fact, with the problems of coronavirus these days, many people are experiencing persistent anxiety and depression. And so we need to be optimistic. But how do we go forward when we can't find the dawn? A lot of people are going to get brought down by the downs in life. And that's why in today's Torah Journey episode, I'd like to explore with you a path that will help you maximize your chances of finding your own bounty. Optimism and pessimism are two worlds that occupy much of Sefer Devarim. They are embodied in these two mountains in the land of Israel, Har Eval and Har Grizim. And the Torah describes how we pronounce the blessing and curse upon these mountaintops. One mountain is barren and the other is flourishing with vegetation. But here is the surprising thing. These two landscapes lie just across the street from one another. And there's really two different verses describing the different sides of the street. For the person who serves God with joy, the Torah tells us, Yiftach Hashem l'cha es otzero atov es ha-shamayim. Hashem will open up for you as good storehouse, the heavens, to give you the rains in their time and to bless all of your, the deeds of your hand. This person who sees God's goodness has an unlimited storehouse. On the other hand, for the person who is pessimistic and does not serve God, the heavens above you will become copper and the earth below you will become iron, the Torah says. All of the curses will befall you. On account of the fact that you did not serve Hashem with joy and a good heart from abundance. These are two verses describing the same heavens. One is an unlimited storehouse, and the other is a barren wasteland. 
Now, in modern times, there is the idea of the abundance mindset and the scarcity mindset. Abundance mindset means that you see opportunities for blessing. The other guy's success is not your failure. In the scarcity mindset, resources are very scarce, and so you'd better get very concerned when the other person gets ahead. I was reminded of this when uh, Steve Savitsky told me about becoming the lay president of a national Jewish organization. And after this happened, he got a frantic call from a friend of his who's the president of a different organization. And instead of wishing a mazel tov, this friend pleaded, please don't take our donors. I thought, wow, that's classic scarcity thinking. Now, long before the modern articulation of abundance and scarcity mindset, Judaism gave us the conceptual background for these ideas. Judaism has had it all along. God has deep pockets and an unlimited storehouse if we want to see it. The real challenge comes when our problems persist and we don't feel blessing on the horizon. What can we do to hasten its arrival? Now, simcha, joy, is not a common term in the Chumash, in the Torah, but it appears three times in Kitavo in addition to the appearance of the word sason, which is twice. We are commanded to be in a state of joy, and the implication is that we can have joy if we only choose it. Now, here's a key. Joy and bitterness are feelings, but they grow from actions. And the Torah commands us to separate our first fruits from the crop and to bring those fruits to Yerushalayim. We articulate our gratitude to Hashem for all of Jewish history that brought us to this point, from Yaakov's triumph over Esau to Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, all the way to the farmer's own personal bounty, we recognize our bounty and everything that preceded it. As it says, You shall rejoice in all of the goodness that Hashem your God has given you and your household. So celebrating the first fruits and articulating the thanksgiving are actions of joy. But what are actions of curse? The Torah describes 12 curses connected to specific prohibitions in the Torah. These 12 sins range from idolatry to moving the boundary of your neighbor to cursing your fellow Jew and obstructing justice. These 12 prohibitions kind of seem like a a random list of bad deeds just strung together. But the Rashbam, Rashi's grandson and commentary in the Torah, writes that each of these 12 curses have something in common. Each of them are things that normally take place in private. Moving the boundary between you and your neighbor. Causing the blind to be misled on his path. Having sexual relations with a forbidden person unto you. Perverting the justice of the poor. All of these are actions that are generally done while no one else is looking. In fact, the Rashbam points out that two of the 12 sins, idolatry and striking your fellow, can generally be done either publicly or privately. And only in the case of these two curses does the Torah go out of its way and say, Aror make re ehu beseter, cursed is the one who does this in secret. Twelve curses, in essence, for twelve secret sins. Sins done in secret need only be addressed by Hashem because a a Beisdin, a court, cannot address them. And the Torah really echoes this idea later on in Parshas Nitzavim when it says, 
Hanistaros la Shamalo Kenov, Haniglos Lanulovanenu ad Olam. The hidden sins are unto Hashem our God, and the revealed ones are unto us and our children eternally to perform this entire Torah. So, in other words, when a sin is concealed from the Beit Deen, from the court, still they are unto God who will deal with them. But here is a question When do we sin in private? And the answer is we certainly sin when we feel down in our luck and when we feel cheated by the system. If we've been cheated, we'll cheat. When someone is blind, we'll knock them off their course or we'll move the fence between our property and the property of a neighbor. Those feelings are the classic scarcity and curse mentality. How do we get to a different frame of mind? Well, think back to those verses about the heavens. Are the heavens and Otsir Hatov a good storehouse, or are they a barren field of copper? And the answer is ours. If we want the world of abundance, our view of the world needs to grow from our words and our actions. The farmer who takes the physical steps of designating the first fruit and packing it up and transporting it all the way to Yerushalayim, recalling God's praises from the days of his ancestors, through his own life, through his words of thanksgiving, he has now created a mindset, which is the fertile soil from which their abundance worldview can grow even more. And on the other hand, there is that bitter person who takes the fence and pushes it over just a little bit to claim some of the land that they feel denied of. They feel the world is just unfair. It's rigged against them, and they take bitter actions, and then their world becomes more bitter. And the Torah helps us understand why abundance is possible, because God has deep pockets after all, and the possibility for blessing is endless. But the Torah also gives us the framework for moving from curse to blessing. It starts with the Bikurim, the Declaration of Thanksgiving, and in this abundance way of living, the way we talk is so important. When the world seems dark, one of the things that we can do is just think about the way we talk, our words. Do we speak words of light or optimism or darkness and pessimism? I've got a friend who's a CEO of a company who visits Portland often, and I always feel like I'm meeting him in the darkness of an early morning before Shacharis, and every time I tell him about some challenge we're facing, he always comes back with an idea about what a great opportunity the challenge is. He's a successful person. But the way that he talks is key, and we have to think about that in our lives. Our words have the potential to help us make that inner switch. Modern-day researchers, Brene Brown comes to mind, write about the importance of gratitude for our mental health. But Judaism gives us the parameters and the structure to express thanksgiving and optimism in our lives. In fact, long before modern research, the Torah and our sages legislated language of thanksgiving, whether it's at the Pesach Seder or the hundred brachos, the hundred blessings we make every day. Our our lives as, as Jews are filled with words of bracha and optimism. And those words are just an opening of, of optimism into our lives. And so your words can really change your mindset. And your mindset is really that opening to access God's good storehouse. And by the way, it doesn't have to be the brachas that you make or things that we're commanded to say. It's also just the way that we talk. Have you ever talked negatively about your life on days that are hard? I have. If we just try to talk in a more 
forward-looking way, telling ourselves we're going to forge ahead and we're not going to look backwards. We're going to see the potential of the future and we're going to talk about it. That's the language of blessing that we need to fill our lives with. I remember I once told my Rosh Hashiva that I was feeling regretful about a decision that I had made a number of years ago. Don't look back, he told me. Lot's wife tried that and she turned into a pillar of salt. I thought about that a lot. Don't become a pillar of salt. The next time that you face a dark night challenge, consider the words of hope and optimism that you can utter for your sake and for the sake of people around you. And when you do so, you will find that the light of dawn will rise. And then you can see the Otzer HaTov, the good storehouse that God has made for you.